Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining the Therapeutic Thursdays podcast. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen in as members discuss what's new and ongoing in the world of therapeutics. My name is Gift Wake, and I'm the System Manager for Medication Use and Pharmacoeconomics at Novant Health. Today, I'm joined by our guest, Rena Gosser, Assistant Director of Specialty Pharmacy Services and Medication Access at the University of Washington. In this episode, we will be discussing pharmacoequity what it is, and how to address it. So welcome, everyone. To get things started, we'll talk about definitions and some background. As pharmacists, we're familiar with terms like pharmacovigilance and pharmacoeconomics, but what is pharmacoequity? It seems to be a newer area of practice, or is it just a new term? That's a really great question. I know that there are a ton of terms that we learn about with pharmaco or pharma in front of it, but pharmacoequity itself is not a new area of practice for the pharmacy workforce, but it is a new term. It was recently coined by a physician, Dr. Utibe Essien, to describe conditions where all patients, regardless of race, class, or availability of resources, have access to high-quality evidence-based pharmacotherapy indicated for their condition. So just in that description, that's things that as pharmacists, pharmacy technicians that we strive and work towards for our patients. We've been at the forefront of these efforts to achieve pharmacoequity for decades across the continuum of care. But what's different now is the pandemic. It's really highlighted the serious health disparities that exist in our nation, especially for racially minoritized patients. And we're seeing evidence of this now starting to grow in the medical literature, as well as the national conversation. Excellent. And how is pharmacoequity related to the broader concept of health equity? That's a great question. I like to think of pharmacoequity as a rib of the health equity umbrella. So pharmacoequity is really focused on the use of optimal, high-quality medication for each patient every time, irrespective of those factors I mentioned, so race, class, income. Health equity is sort of this broader end-state goal where all patients can achieve their highest potential for health. So with health equity, we look at other factors besides medication and consider the societal and historical injustices that are proving to be obstacles for our patients. So for example, when we think about our patient in front of us, does the patient have easy access to a grocery store that sells affordable, fresh food to encourage a healthy diet and ultimately to help them reach their goal of getting their A1C down? Does the patient live in an area that was redlined historically, allowing for environmental pollutants that continue to cause recurrent asthma exacerbations, time in the hospital, and inability to work and make a living. These are all things that impact health and really stunt our ability to achieve health equity. So that pharmacotherapy piece is a piece that we can focus on as the pharmacy workforce to achieve broader health equity goals. Awesome. Now let's talk about some real world examples. What are some examples of pharmacoequity within healthcare that you can point us to? That's a really great question. I honestly have yet to see an example of achievement of true pharmacoequity just because of how our healthcare system is structured. However, I can briefly summarize an example from Dr. Essien's research where they identified pharmaco inequities in care. So Dr. Essien and team examined 
about 110 patients with AFib who received care within the VA system. They observed that Black patients were far less likely by up to 26% to receive newer, more effective standard of care blood thinners for stroke prevention. And what they did was they adjusted for clinical and socioeconomic factors and found that their finding held consistent even after these adjustments, despite what we know about the VA and access to prescription medications through a low-cost uniform national formulary. So that really highlighted the fact that even when we factor in all of these factors, all else being equal, that there's still something underlying the issue of access to medications that we really need to take a look at. So in this particular case, in order to achieve pharmacoequity, there are some things that we should consider when determining next steps to really get at that ultimate goal. Key thing being why those disparities exist. At baseline, did prescribing bias contribute? Were Black patients less likely to want to use these novel agents due to what we know about historical misdeeds and experimentation on minoritized individuals in healthcare? Were these patients equally connected to appropriate specialty care or specialist care after diagnosis. And then when we think about those questions and possible solutions, can we implement provider education where we sit one-on-one with providers and say, you know, you maybe were an outlier in this case. What are some things that you know about how you think about patients that we can help to close that gap. Really engaging with the multidisciplinary team to identify if there are different things that team members can do to contribute to achieving pharmacoequity, as well as really setting organizational-wide goals and hardwiring prescribing guidance in the electronic health system. These things can all really go a long way at getting closer to achieving pharmacoequity as it relates to this specific example, because it takes out all of the miscellaneous biases that can really come into play when we are are looking at the patient in front of us and prescribing. Wow, I think those are some very important considerations. From your perspective, how does a proactive response to pharmacoequity positively impact patient care? And I think maybe you've touched on that in your previous response, but maybe more specifically, how do you think pharmacoequity can have a positive impact? Yeah, thanks for that. I think overall, when we really actively put pharmacoequity at the forefront of how we practice, everybody wins. You know, most importantly, patients are getting access to medication best suited for their condition and it's high quality and it's really targeted to their needs. It also has the potential to put less strain on healthcare resources. So we may see lower overall cost of care. Folks aren't being readmitted because they weren't on the appropriate therapy to begin with. And overall, it ensures a healthy population. One thing that is really critical that comes into play with pharmacoequity is that when patients feel seen and experience firsthand that you are doing all that you can to help get them access to affordable medication, that they're getting that high quality guideline recommended care, there's going to be a higher level of trust in your relationship and your ability to work together towards reaching those healthcare goals will be immensely greater than what it would be had you prescribed a medication just because you know it's Medicaid covered, it's cheap, easy, but may not get you to that ultimate goal in the long run. So I think being proactive, really ingraining it into your practice is really what needs to happen moving forward. Certainly agree with that. Maybe we can dig in a little bit further in terms of the applications of pharmacoequity. How do you think pharmacoequity can be applied to improve access? 
I think that access is really a key driver in pharmacoequity. When we think about pharmacoequity and access, it's not simply just whether the provider prescribes a medication, but all of the additional factors that can stand in the way of the patient having the drug in hand and taking that medication. The type and quality of insurance, or in some cases, lack thereof, the patient's mileage away from the nearest pharmacy and or pharmacy options available to the patient, drug information resources to help them navigate taking a new medication. These are all things that really go into that access picture that should be thought about when we're thinking about achieving pharmacoequity. Pharmacoequity itself ensures patients have affordable access to medication irrespective of their insurance status. So we look at what is the best high-quality medication that will help them achieve their healthcare goal for this specific condition, not, you know, that they may be an unhoused patient. So you prescribe something that maybe third tier just because it'll be easier for them to take, but really what will help them get to the best health that they could possibly get. Providing, you know, additional options to the patient. You know, we just talked about mileage away from the nearest pharmacy. So if the patient lives in a neighborhood where the closest pharmacy is way far from the patient's home, they have to take transportation to get there. They don't have their own car. Really making sure that when you're deciding where to send that prescription, providing options if the patient happens to live in what we call a pharmacy desert so that you know they can have it delivered to them via free delivery or courier service. Is mail order an option so that it's delivered right to their home? and they don't have to jump through hoops to get there. And then also just from the drug information perspective, access to technology. With the pandemic, we saw an increase in phone and telehealth visits. Are these options to really give patients greater access to pharmacist care for medication questions or concerns as they come up with a new medication? Because these things will help ensure that patients are able to continue to stay on the medication, take it safely, and continue to get that optimal effective treatment that they so deserve. And what about bias in healthcare? Do you think pharmacoequity can help to reduce bias? Yes, absolutely. I think bias is one of those things that is sometimes a chicken or the egg. Ultimately, that's the goal. We want to reduce bias going into prescribing decision-making. We know it's well-established in the literature that bias is pervasive in healthcare, especially when it comes to prescribing practices. Studies have shown differences in prescribing the most effective treatment for people of color across multiple conditions and disease states. At its core, you know, we can say we want everyone to remove all their implicit biases, but it's incredibly difficult and pretty impossible to correct all of those things for hundreds and thousands of prescribers that are out there. But we can look at other strategies to reduce bias in care at the health system level by implementing care pathways to ensure that the most effective therapies are considered and prescribed, along with access to resources to ensure patients get the medication if clinically appropriate. There should also be some sort of feedback mechanism to identify prescriber adherence to care pathways as well as data capture to continue to identify what equity chasms exist and then really have actionable plans to shrink them. Bias going into the prescribing decision can really be muted when we really put these care pathways in place. And then that re-education, review of the data to continue to refine and improve as needed. 
Great. Thank you. So this might be a bigger stretch, but do you think cost of care issues could be addressed using pharmacal equity? Yes. So cost of care issues, as we know, we as pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, we feel it every day. And it's become so ingrained in practice just due to the overall structure of our healthcare system. So while we know that the Affordable Care Act greatly increased the number of insured Americans, many remain uninsured or even underinsured in some cases for their healthcare needs. We know from a systemic level that the United States has some of the highest prescription drug costs than anywhere else in the world. So when we think about pharmacal equity, we can't neglect to focus on the cost of care. It's another one of those key drivers. So a review of the cost for each prescription is at the center of pharmacal equity, along with those necessary companion needs like labs that also lead to increased costs. So as a member of the pharmacy workforce, we should do all that we can to navigate barriers to affordability. So when you have that patient in front of you and are looking at options, is there potential to deprescribe to relieve a patient of a medication that no longer has a place in therapy, or there's a more affordable option that exists while also still providing that high quality of care? Are there manufacturer patient assistance programs or hospital foundation grants that can help provide free or low-cost therapy for the patient? So despite these efforts that we, you know, as pharmacists, technicians really do to focus at the patient level, there also needs to be larger systematic change to really tackle medication cost issues that are so prevalent in our healthcare system. Wonderful. Any tips for pharmacists? As pharmacists, what are some specific ways we can adopt a pharmacoequity lens in order to enhance patient care? This is a really great question, and I always love to just go back and forth with pharmacists about ideas that they have to really meet the needs of patients when it comes to pharmacoequity. It really should be the goal every time. So we talked a little bit about the patient in front of you and what you should be thinking about and considering, but irrespective of where they are in their care, you know, they are on the brink of discharge from the team, they are presenting to you in clinic for an appointment, or they're at the counter picking up a medication. It's super important to consider whether they are on the most optimal medications that are guideline indicated, high quality evidence to show that it really improves outcomes. If they're not, why is that? What role might implicit or explicit biases play in the patient's care that led to that point? Was there a appropriate clinical rationale for not prescribing, or was it not prescribed simply because it was assumed that the patient couldn't afford it? Were there considerations, discussion, engagement of other team members to identify sources of assistance to help make the medication more affordable? And then if the patient is struggling to pick up the medication from the pharmacy on time, can it be mailed to make it easier for the patient to adhere to their medication? Are there community partners, community resources like transport to help them get to their appointments with you as the pharmacist to continue to be reevaluated in a sure appropriate therapy. So these are all questions that should be considered additionally to the ones I mentioned previously in those day-to-day patient interactions that ultimately make the world of difference. Outside of that direct patient care, I'd also recommend that we start, if not already, advocating for necessary changes to our healthcare system. So send letters or schedule meetings with your representatives and senators to really educate them on legislation that helps promote pharmacoequity and improve patient care. 
Lastly, at your health system or at your institution, talk to your pharmacy leadership, senior leadership, or key decision makers and ask for medication access teams at your institution. So these members of the pharmacy workforce are just gold. In my opinion, we have a medication access team here at UW Medicine that does so much to help patients get access to medications that they may not otherwise have the resources to on their own. So they assist the care team with navigating prior authorizations, appeals, and help patients complete patient assistance or financial assistance paperwork. They also have relationships with community partners that can provide services to help patients adhere to their medication. Again, that free transportation, courier services, et cetera, to pick up medication on time. So overall, I think these are all things we can do. Some kind of are more larger scale than others, but really starting with the patients in front of us to really shift our mindset away from pharmacoequity as something we turn on and off or apply in certain circumstances and really hardwire it into our day-to-day practices every time. Well, excellent. Thanks so much for the insightful dialogue. I've certainly learned a lot and I hope others have too. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our guest, Rena Gosser, for a great topic and discussion. And for our ASHP members, please note that additional resources are available via the ASHP clinical resources page. There you can find offerings such as resource centers for various areas of clinical practice, the preceptor toolkit, and forums for posted discussions amongst peers. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to ASHP Official through your favorite podcast provider. We want to thank you again for tuning into this session of Therapeutic Thursdays. Join us here every Thursday where we'll be talking with ASHP member subject matter experts on a variety of clinical topics, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.